talking. I was like, where is she? Oh, yeah, she come up I'm like weeks later. Right? I, I don't need to look, look at the phone. I'm just saying, where is Are the words actually where is Yeah, that's why everyone took off their headphones and I was like, wait, star. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Return Card. My name is Chrissy. We're gathered here today to talk about Scott S. Phillips' book, Man with Chihuahua. We'll have an interview that plays throughout the episode, and we have a panel of people that are different. So I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves. We'll start over here. Ahoy, hoy, This is Terry here. Hello, this is Sandra. Uh, hi, I'm Starla. All right. So um, we're going to talk in general uh, about how we received the book as in how we liked it. Then we'll go with the interview and then we'll talk about the interview afterwards. Does that sound okay with everyone? Fantastic. Sounds great. Sounds great. So I'll start. Um, when I first picked up this book, I noticed that it was different than a lot of Scott S. Phillips' other books, which are mainly science fiction, fantasy. Um, they dwell into the urban fantasy genre. Uh, I, he has Pete the Blood Drinker series, which is about a vampire in L.A., and he hits on the comedy notes in those works as well. But I, I was surprised at how much comedy would be in here and how much slapstick comedy would be in here. So um, admittedly, I'm not too big into smaller contemporary reads, but I liked it. Like I, It took me a little bit to get used to the first couple chapters, but afterwards I liked the plot and I thought it was just a cute like read. It was a good summer read, I felt. Yeah, I mean, it, when I first started reading the the book, um, it was definitely what I would refer to as a slow burn. I mean, it, coming off the protagonist wasn't really someone that I would naturally identify with. But slowly but surely through the writing style, I became very attached to the character. I mean, in in the beginning, the character really isn't, you know, like... I would say a successful protagonist. I mean, he's kind of down on his luck. You know, he just got laid off. He's horribly afraid of dogs and he just gets, you know, thrown into a situation with this dog. Um, so it was a little unexpected how it begun, but slowly throughout the book, it really came together and you really felt yourself identifying and really feeling bad for this character. So for me, this was my first time reading anything by Scott Phillips. I loved it right away because of that humor. It pulled me in right yeah. away. I found myself literally laughing out loud while I was reading this book, which doesn't happen a lot for me. It has to be really funny. And within the first five pages, I found myself laughing. So I loved it. And I could identify pretty quickly with the character. The one thing that I loved that I thought was really great thing that the author did was he mentioned that he pulled in a lot of music references. So he his character mm -hmm. is picturing all this music in his head as he's going throughout his life. He's playing music. And I thought that that was really awesome. And I really connected with that. Okay, excellent. Star? Uh, yeah, one of the things I really like about Scott's books are his characters. I think they're really unique and kind of different than what you usually see in books. Uh, they're characters that I want to go out and like, go grab a bite with and talk about uh, just everything. And I felt like these characters in particular were really good in that way. Uh, Adam, the main character, I think made some kind of horrid decisions mm -hmm. in his life. But despite that, uh, I think he's uh, really relatable. Yeah. And the music, 
uh, I agree with Sandra. Uh, there's also a playlist that he has on YouTube that you can follow along while you're uh, reading the book. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll post a link up to that because he sent it to me. And it's a great list of music references that he has throughout the book. And I like it a lot. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. Um, and one thing I really appreciate about Scott's characters, especially his male characters, is that they're not this macho kind of stereotypical yeah. what what people would normally think of should be stoic and unemotional. Rather, he has emotion and he expresses that. Um, like his fear of dogs is very much expressed. <laughs> throughout I agree so that that was a little bit refreshing instead of just that I have to be stoic and look off you also kind of see that he has that internal conflict though like he's always worried about what he's doing isn't considered macho like the kind of coffee he goes and orders like he's concerned people won't think that he's a man or the fact that he has a chihuahua his dad's always telling him he's not manly enough it's kind of an interesting internal conflict yeah that really does get expressed uh quite well when it comes down to his professional career. I mean, he's almost ashamed of the fact that he is a good writer and that that's what he wants to do with his life because, you know, what's gone on with his girlfriend and with his father, they don't really deem it as something that a successful person does. And um, you really see him try and work through that and eventually realize that, you know, even though he's hit Oh, you know, a writer's block, he can still overcome that and and push through it. And he still is a really good writer. But it kind of takes that entire length of the story in order for him to really come to that conclusion. He has to kind of find that self-confidence within and realize that maybe the people around him weren't building him up the way he needed to. Yeah, those are really good points. Um, so... What I did find interesting is that there was a uh, a little bit of parallel between Greta, his girlfriend, and his uh, father in the book, which is that they weren't showing that they were proud of him unless he was doing the work that they thought was worthy of that pride. So instead of just being happy that he's following his passions, it was, um, oh, you're we're working for U.S. Weekly oh, this is very prestigious and this means you're doing a great job or working as, um, oh my gosh, what was it, a diesel? No, not uh, diesel. He was working at his father's uh, petrol shop. Yes, so he yeah. was working at the petrol shop. So that's when his father thought he had value and him doing the writing thing was not what he considered valuable. So that, I thought that was an interesting parallel and I don't know whether he did that on purpose, but it was just a nice kind of, parallel lines of thinking of who he was around and the mindsets that he was around. Yeah. I mean, it, it, at times while reading the novel, I found myself in the beginning, like I said, it was hard to relate to the character. He really did come off when you first read it kind of, kind of wimpy. I mean, it's kind of like, why, why should I care about this protagonist? What is he throwing out there that's really going to make me want to love him as a character? And that doesn't happen as quickly as it does with some other characters. It's, it's kind of a slow lead up to it. Um, but once it happens, you're kind of like, you know, it goes from one chapter to another and you're like, I don't really care about this character to why is this going on? Like, he deserves so much more than what he's getting out of life. Like, why is his girlfriend treating him this way? Why is his father treating him this way? Like, why doesn't he have a better, you know, support network? 
And I like the fact that I went from being completely disinterested in the character to caring so much about him by the end of the novel. And the fact that it happened kind of without me even realizing it was really surprising. There's a lot of development within it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of under the plot, too. It's not like overt and in your face. It kind of just happens naturally through the flow of the story as you kind of see the true character of, of Adam and what he really values and what he really should you know, take away from the people um, in his life. I think Curtis was was one of those friends that, you know, you really need at a certain time in your life. Someone that's, you know, going to be there th- for you through thick and thin, even if, you know, you're like Adam calling him up in the middle of the night drunk off his butt. And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to carry you to the car now. Yeah. I love that. That was such a good scene. <laughs> yeah, that was. All right. So if you guys don't mind, I think we're at that point where we can um, play the interview and then we'll talk about the stuff. Uh, that's in the interview. After reading this book with all the parts we talked about, I was excited to ask Scott about his experiences and his writing, including how he started writing. Uh, well, I mean, technically, I guess I started writing when I was a little kid. Um, when I was writing, I was writing and drawing little comic books that were terrible. And actually, not too long ago, I found the first book I ever wrote, which is about 11 pages long, but it's called The Adventures of Anybody Newly Named Craig. <laughs> So I guess I, I guess I was wishing my name was Craig. But oh, that's that sounds really <laughs> silly. By the way, the return cart is a great name. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I thought really long and hard about it. <laughs> so uh, when looking back at a lot of your work, you've done a lot of primary like fantasy, kind of in somewhat in the horror, uh, suspense, adventure genre. <laughs> but the book that we're talking about today is called Man with Chihuahua. Yeah. And this is a very close book to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's yeah, can you explain uh, what the book is about and why it's important? Um, the book is about a man <laughs> who gets a chihuahua, and he's actually terrified of dogs. Um, and it is uh, both wildly fictional and wildly autobiographical at the same time. <laughs> and I always hated chihuahuas, and uh, the stuff about the grandmother having the, the chihuahua named Nancy that was... A biter. Yeah, yeah. That to an extent is 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 based in in real life. My grandmother <laughs> had this really fat, really mean chihuahua named <laughs> Nancy, who would just every time you weren't looking, just bite your ankles. And so I was always I was always dead set against chihuahuas. And mm-hmm. I had this girlfriend who uh, Greta in the book is based on. Yeah, and that is very autobiographical, by the way. Um, uh, who decided that we should get this chihuahua. Yeah, who kind of cornered, in the book, she kind of cornered. Yeah, yeah. That was it, I was more in on it in real life because mm-hmm. I, I, I saw the dog and I was like, this this dog's kind of cool looking. And and uh, then they put us in the little, uh, the little sheep pen. You know? <laughs> and that chihuahua just started dancing around on her hind legs and went home with us. And... Uh, she was named Decker, like the dog in the book, named, mm-hmm. af- named after uh, Commodore Decker on uh, the Doomsday Machine on Star Trek. Oh, nice. Um, because actually my, my neighbor came up with a name. She came over and saw the way Decker was running around on the couch and all over the top of me and everything and said, I think you need to name this dog Decker because she's assumed command. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, She is now captain. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, uh, she actually died... Um, almost three years ago, she oh, wow. had this mysterious illness that oh. was driving 
my vet crazy and and uh, it just lingered for a little over a year and, and she finally just went on her way but uh, but that dog changed my life <laughs> and, and uh, I just wanted to write something about her so oh I'm very sorry to hear that she passed under those kind of circumstances, or under any kind of circumstances, <laughs> really. But this is a very nice ode to Decker because <laughs> when I was reading um, this book, I was like, Decker seems like such a cool dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at my two dogs. I was like, you guys need to model yourselves out to Decker. <laughs> yeah, she was awesome. She uh, A lot of the stuff, the behavior in the book is mm-hmm. is dead on, the kind of stuff she used to do. And, and in fact, after she died, I... Uh, that kind of reference this in the book, but I found uh, uh, piles of dog food that she had stashed away in all kinds of different places. Like she was, you know, just covering the bases in case <laughs> things got tight. Because I was finding these little piles like in corners and back behind the couch and <sighs> under the bed. She's like, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's, that's very, very sweet. Um, so you also have another dog named Casey Dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Casey Dog. Casey, uh, she's a uh, Australian cattle dog. Mm-hmm. And I got her in 2007. And she, uh, she, the woman that I was dating at the time, she um, volunteered at this animal shelter. And they were doing a, a, an adopt-a-thon thing. And, and uh I was just hanging out there, and I was like, we're not getting any dogs. We're not getting any dogs. And I saw Casey sitting in this cage, and nobody was paying any attention to her because she was an older dog and not a puppy. Aww. And I walked over and put my hand out, and she just put her head in my hand. I was like, oh, we're getting a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have a dog. <laughs> yeah, and she uh, she loved Decker. She was, like, super protective of her. and Best friends for yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, and they'd run around the yard and, you know, wrestle and stuff. and. And uh, she, uh, yeah, she when actually when Decker died, um, for like months afterwards, Casey would go in and just lay on the floor and stare at the spot where Decker was when she died. Wow! Um, so it was it was really sad. One yeah. of these days, I got to get her another Chihuahua. Yeah, <laughs> gotta find a nice Chihuahua that's not an ankle biter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Um, so. Going back to um, the book and Adam, who's who's scared of dogs because of this mean, mean little dog that he comes into the first um, first chapter uh, when he's fourteen, and he gets bit in a place that most men would wince and feel very sim- sympathy pains for him. Uh, and when I was reading this, I was laughing because a lot of um, the words you use to describe this place is very euphemistic, um, but very funny at the same time, right? <laughs> so how, d- wh- why did you choose those words, and did you, like, research them in romance novels? <laughs> oh, actually, it's kind of a long and strange story, but I, um, for a while, I was writing for Barely Legal magazine, <laughs> And I had to write as various teenage girls. So Really? Yeah. And the, the editor of the magazine was a woman, and she would get my stories, and she was like, you know, your knowledge of teenage girl culture just is astonishing. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, you know, I watched MTV for an hour. And, but, uh, and uh, I just kind of got tired of using the same old words, so I started just – I actually found – a little zine that somebody published called 100 Words for Penis. <laughs> so, 
I went through that and used those up and then just started, I mean, I used like Terwilliker in one of them, which is uh, Dr. T in the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, the Dr. Seuss movie. So I just, yeah, just started coming up with anything I could. But I eventually got fired from the magazine because my teenage girls were too mean. Oh. Yeah, the editor (laughs) said that. too mean. Yeah, the editor said that she thought they were very accurate, but that they had done a survey and their readers apparently couldn't pleasure themselves properly if they felt they were being made fun of. <laughs> and I would have, like, there was one where, like, this, the, the main girl gets picked up by this, this guy, and, you know, she's hitchhiking, and he's, like, 35 or something, and she's like, you smell funny, like my grandpa. Like. <laughs> Accurate, but we don't like accuracy. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I had a friend who uh, lived in L.A., and he told me that he could always tell. He would go and, like, flip through the magazine. He's like, I can always tell when it's your story because there's, like, Nazi she-males to collect Star Trek figures. And <laughs> Very awesome. Um, and actually, you hit on well, one thing I wanted to ask about is uh, you base this book in L.A. in L.A. Yeah. And is that uh, – did you live in L.A. for a time? Um, I lived in L.A. – uh, for a while in 1995 until I sold my first script and then I moved back here to help take care of my mom mm-hmm. and moved back again in 98 and was there until early 2000 and then came back and uh, I've been here ever since but um, I've spent a lot of time there and done a lot of screenwriting stuff and, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know it's just kind of fascinating to me to like set stuff there and like mm-hmm. My the the vampire series that I write, the Pete Drinker of Blood books, they're all set there too. Oh yeah, I and, did see that. <laughs> and that's partly because I got the idea for for uh, uh, Pete when I was living in this tiny one room apartment, and you know I was the starving screenwriter, and I hardly ever left the building, and, mm-hmm. and I was just sitting there going, God, I could just I could be a vampire. You know? <laughs> it's like I'm just sitting in my little room here all the time. And, Except I don't have as much fun as a vampire would have. And I was like, hey, maybe there's something in that. So, hmm, <laughs> getting into that. Um, so in, in, in the book, Adam ends up working at a comic book store. And I had saw that you had actually owned a, a small store as well. Was it a comic book shop? Uh, I sold store? comics. Um, it, was, uh, it was called Wavy Brain. Yes. And I opened it in March Mar- on March 1st, I think, of 1993 here in Albuquerque. And... Uh, I had like, um, like oddball movies. Like I had a bunch of Jackie Chan movies, and I had old monster movies, you know, and like John Waters movies, things mm-hmm. like that, <clears throat> like cult movie kind of stuff. But I also sold movie posters and had uh, um, mostly independent comics, and um, some. I started like having some records and stuff in there about the time I sold the store, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I owned that from, I guess I guess it was about like mid-1994. I sold the store and then I moved out to L.A. at the beginning of 95. And oh, okay. To go after the screenwriting thing. Oh, very so. nice. <clears throat> Excellent. Um, so since Man with Chihuahua is kind of in a different genre than uh, the suspense um, and horror, are you thinking about writing more books along those lines? Are you... I, you know, it's like mostly I just kind of write whatever comes into my head. I've got another book that's kind of more just contemporary fiction like that called Squirrel Eyes mm-hmm. um, that is also wildly fictional and wildly <laughs> autobiographical. But um, uh, And then I 
done uh, a book called Gun Up that's mm-hmm. kind of a mosaic novel thing. Um, it features one of the characters from Squirrel Eyes sort of in the process of becoming a like a private detective <laughs> is what he's shooting for, kind of accidentally almost, but mm-hmm. it's like a it's a crime novel. And so and I've got, you know, there's I've got like a list in my head of stuff I want to do. So okay. um the thing is the urban fantasy stuff and things like that, they're they sell better. <laughs> so, yeah. Um Although Man with Chihuahua has been picking up lately, so that's kind of cool. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I liked it very, very much. Um, Thank you. And, but and you said that the relationship um, that Adam has with Greta is a little bit autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. Um, another <laughs> little autobiographical is we have a similar friend named Starla. Yes. Who's yeah. featured in the book. Yeah. Right? So do you put... Um, the one character that's based on someone in each book, or was this kind of a special circumstance? Um, I think it. I think it just kind of happened that way. I was, and uh, I, you know what it is? Is like after I met Starla, I remember thinking that's a cool name. I got to use that somewhere. And <laughs> so I think that's how that it wound up. And plus, it fits. I, you know, she's like so super nice. That <laughs> it's is. like she'd be perfect for this this character. So. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> Hey, that works out. Um, you also have a Patreon page. Yeah. Uh, that people can um, subscribe to. And I saw poetry as being one of the options. Yeah, it's terrible poetry, though. Terrible it's not good poetry. poetry. Terrible it's, poetry. Yeah, because I can't write poetry, so it's bad poetry. And there are like, you know, the different tiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, you actually get videos of me doing dramatic readings of the bad poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Dramatic readings, so like putting all the heart and soul. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, but the poems are like, like there's one called Bungus Flump that's about my cat putting his butt on me. (laughs) Things like that. (laughs) Are you going to come up with um, a collection of of bad poetry and put them in book form? I'm kind of thinking about it. And these are bad. I'm (laughs) <laughs> I am looking forward to it. <laughs> Very much so. So do you have any works that you're working on now? Uh, I'm working on the fifth book in the Pete Drinker of Blood series. It's called The Donut Queen. Mm-hmm. And um, then beyond that, I got this. I got an idea for another series I want to do, like an urban fantasy thing that's going to be sort of, you know, this kind of post-apocalyptic-y kind of thing, but also kind of funny and crazy. And... Um, then beyond that, more Pete, and um, I want to do uh, a, another book with the character from Gun Up, and so I just yeah, it's like just constant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was wondering, is Man with Chihuahua ever going to become a screenplay? Because I think it started out as a it screenplay. started out as a screenplay, yeah. And <clears throat> it's funny because the script is like a lot different from the book because the script at the time I was still kind of under the influence of the girlfriend character <laughs> in the book. I hadn't quite... Adam realizes what's going on a lot quicker than I mm-hmm. did. Um, so that's a lot different. And uh, it's... The script was written more as like an Adam Sandler kind of a thing. So uh-huh. it's really like spazzy and mm-hmm. over the top and goofy. Um, and the band that's in the book, in the script, it was Kiss. <laughs> but, you know, you can't... <laughs> Can't get away with that in the book. So. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, um, and speaking of kind of real, real world um, 
like bands and everything like that. You you put in US Weekly as the magazine that Adam used to work for. Is it uh, Entertainment Weekly? E- yeah. Entertainment Weekly. I was yeah. like, it's a weekly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also, uh, like One Direction is in there too. Did yeah. you ever think of making up um, names for like the magazines, our bands, or did you think? I just want to use just, something that people can... It, it varies. Sometimes I'll do that. Like the, the comic shop that he goes to in the book, I mean, if you're standing at Pink's Hot Dogs and looking at that corner, it's actually Golden Apple Comics. <laughs> but I thought, you know what? I'm going to only have the, the owner be a character and stuff, so I'm going to just make it a different mm-hmm. fictional comic book shop. And uh, um, I, uh, I think... I like to have little touchstones that are reality based like mm-hmm. that because I think it is easier to connect with people and and I think the all the song references and stuff help with that too. Okay, very cool. And <clears throat> so Adam, I'm not going to give it away for those who are going to read the book, but Adam does something to One Direction and, <laughs> and yeah, I was, in the script it was in sync, but then I realized it, oh. <laughs> wait the timeline of the book it in sync was long gone yeah. so so this would have been yeah. the 90 yeah. like the 90s very early 2000s okay um but the the action that adam does uh to one direction did you choose that because it's not particularly illegal or uh i just thought it would be if they because it was you know in the screenplay it was like a little flashback and i was mm-hmm. like well that would be kind of visually interesting yeah so but i think it i think it works in the in the book too so Okay, very cool. Hey, that works. I was because I was reading and I was like, would that be like legally <laughs> suspect? Would it not? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the result of that would be. <laughs> I'm gonna look that up though, <laughs> just in case I need it for the future. So, and actually, we had met at Bubonicon. Um, and Bubonicon is a sci-fi fantasy convention that's been happening in Albuquerque for. 50, 50 years. 50 yeah. years was this past um, celebration. How long have you been going to that convention? Um, I've been going off and on, geez, I guess since like the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually wound up being a guest. So <laughs> now I get in free. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So um, you do panels pri- uh, primarily. And one of the panels that um, unfortunately that you missed was about embarrassing beginnings. Yes. Yeah. Right? So let's talk about that here. So when I went to the panel, a lot of the authors were talking about how their embarrassing beginnings, and I use that in quotes, um, was that they were romance novelists uh, before they became like science fiction and fantasy. Right. What was your embarrassing, uh, and I use that in quotes, embarrassing <laughs> beginning? Well, mine, mine would have been, <clears throat> actually the first short story I ever sold was, to Chic Magazine, which was, you know, uh, like published by Larry Flint. It was kind of the sister magazine to Hustler. And uh, what what happened with that is I had written this story called Truck Stop Novel. And my friend Victor Milan, who unfortunately passed away mm-hmm. recently, um, he, uh, you know, was a science fiction and action writer and stuff. And I mean, he taught me a ton of stuff. He taught me how to write action, taught me not to let people screw around when they're supposed to pay me. Um, But he read that story and he said, if you added some sex scenes to this, I'll bet you could sell this right away. And I did that. I sent it off to Larry Flint and they called me up like a week later and said, we want to buy this story. So how's $500? And I told Vic that and he was like, I got $500 for my first novel. (laughs) So 
then I sold a couple more stories along those lines and then just kind of focused more on writing screenplays for a while. But then I was going through this rough patch where I had basically become more or less homeless <laughs> in, in L.A. Um, and was just kind of bouncing from couch to couch and stuff. And that's when I got hired on it Barely Legal <laughs> and wound up uh, writing a bunch of stories for them. That actually like paid the bills for a while. Oh, wow. That, and, and I was also writing for something called Buttman Magazine. There's a, what was Buttman Magazine about? <laughs> it was, uh, well, <laughs> specifically. Um, but it was published by a guy named John Stagliano who is known in the exotic film industry as the butt man oh. <laughs> and and uh he uh yeah he just he was a friend of mine named john howard uh who's a, a pretty well-known underground comics artist um was doing comic strips for the magazine and he just told the butt man it's like hey you should should hire my buddy. And so I wound up writing stories for them. So I was writing barely legal stories and Buttman stories at the same time. So I would be like, wait, now I'm a teenage girl this week, right? And, <laughs> am I talking about butts or am I talking about... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in sync. That is, that is, that's a very interesting start. Barely legal, butts. Yeah, yeah. That cool. is very interesting. <laughs> See, so... Really what people should learn is that you never know it's going to open doors for you. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, you wrote a screenplay uh, called Drive, which was public, uh, which was uh, filmed in 1997. Yeah, it was actually it was filmed in early 96, released in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it started out, it was called Road to Ruin after the Ramones album. Hey. And uh, – um, uh, they decided that that title, the producers, in their wisdom, decided that the title Road to Ruin was too easy for critics to make fun of. But the very first review of Drive that I saw said, drive right past this one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a kung fu movie, basically. It's got Mark Dacascos, um, Kadeem Hardison, Brittany Murphy, uh, James Shigeda is in it. And uh, uh, it, uh, it, it's funny because... When people see it, they always say, oh, it's pretty good for a ripoff of Rush Hour. But Rush Hour actually ripped us off. We came out first. And Brett Ratner even told Kadeem Hardison at the premiere of Rush Hour, I'm really glad your movie didn't get a theatrical release because then I wouldn't have been able to rip it off. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that's intense. Um, so you also do short stories. Um, yeah. uh, have you? Well, sorry, going back to screenplays. Have you done any other screenplays? Yeah, yeah. I'm, besides Drive, uh, I wrote... Some really bad movies for Full Moon Entertainment. I wrote um, Horror Vision and Crypts. <laughs> I had to write that one in five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I rewrote one called uh, The Boy with the X-Ray Eyes that got released under the title Extreme Teens, which sounds like a porno website. <laughs> that <laughs> They looked at your past. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, then uh, I wrote... Uh, I guess about a dozen episodes of a TV series called Common Rider Dragon Knight that was on the CW network. Oh. And uh, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting stuff. There was a movie called Broke Sky that uh, me and a friend of mine wrote, and then it got rewritten by other people mm-hmm. extensively. Um, and then I wrote and directed a couple of really low-budget horror movies. Are those those independent movies you're yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. The Stink of Flesh and Gimme Skelter. <laughs> <laughs> 
And those were filmed in Albuquerque or? Yeah, yeah, in and around, yeah. In and around? Um, well, there's a lot of haunted spots in yeah. Albuquerque, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Um, yeah, both of those are actually, well, I shouldn't say this out loud, but um, probably going to be re-released soon, so they'll be available again. That'd be cool. I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> I want to see. Um, so, yes, jumping into, you also do short stories. Uh, one of the short stories is in A Career Guide to Your Job in Hell. Yes. And that sounds very, <laughs> I, I need to get that anthology <laughs> just based on the title. But what's that short story about? Um, it's it about a guy who's like a garbage man and he finds a dead dog and um, decides, his, it makes him so sad and miserable that he wants to find out what happened and he ends up like preventing a murder <laughs> over the course of it. Um, but that book, that book is, it's got some really entertaining stuff in it. Um, it's got a, a story by the other Scott Phillips who wrote The Ice Harvest, and that's why I'm Scott S. Phillips. In the uh, book. Yeah. Um, and I've actually gotten some of his royalty checks. But uh, <laughs> um, And there's the introduction by my friend Don Adams is worth buying the book for alone. It's just him talking about working in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And then Nathan Long, who was a guest at this last Bubonicon, um, writes a lot of fantasy novels and stuff, worked for uh, uh, Games Workshop and stuff. Um, he uh, wrote a true story about the time when he was a cab driver and picking up this guy who just kept wanting to go to like taco stands and places where there were hookers. <laughs> wow. And it's, it's, uh, but there's a lot of uh, good authors in there, a lot of cool stories. And, oh, very cool. Yes. And I've also got, um, got a story in a book called Tall Tales of the Weird West that uh, uh, ties in loosely with some of the stuff that's going on in the Pete Drinker of Blood mm-hmm. books. And there's a Pete story in another anthology from that same publisher that's called uh, It's a Weird Winter Wonderland. And it's like Pete going Christmas shopping for the first time since 1973 and trying to find something for his human girlfriend. Oh, nice. <clears throat> very fun, very fun. All right. Well, is there anything that you'd like to tell fans of your work? Um, thank, thank you for reading my stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it keeps the doggies fed. Yes. Keep the dogs fed and happy <laughs> so that Scott can get a chihuahua to keep Casey. That's right. I've already got a name picked out, too. Male or female? When I get another chihuahua, it's going to be Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike. Yes. I love it. <laughs> right. I was thinking about just getting several chihuahuas and just naming them all like Clubber Lang and <laughs> Apollo Creed and Ivan Drago. There you go. Guess just get a horde of tiny chihuahuas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you once again, Scott, for you coming bet. and talking with me today. Thank you. Okay. So that was the interview with Scott. Um, it was a blast. I'm pretty sure I could probably do podcast episodes and a series just on his life because it's so interesting. Oh, there was tons that was interesting about the interview. Um, I mean, for instance, in in the book, Adam, you know, literally calls one of his contacts in in uh, the writing world. And the guy basically leads him on by saying, well, you know, uh, we have this opening in a magazine for you. It's it's gay porno. And, you know, Adam's like literally sitting in his head. He's like, well, I have a dog and I've seen a few dogs. I, I can write about this. I can do it. You know, he's like literally psyching himself up for this. And then at the very end, the guy's like, yeah, I'm just kidding. And then he writes for Buttman. Yeah. yeah. Scott. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, it's so fascinating just to hear how much of that was autobiographical based on his life, whether it was his relationships, his career, his dogs, Starla. I mean, Starla, I have a question for you. Yeah. How does it feel to be an inspiration in a book? I was, it was, uh, I was a little embarrassed, but it was really sweet of him to do. Uh, I appreciate that, uh, he made the character so nice. Usually I find when a character's named Starla, it's usually for like a comedic laughs, like Napoleon Dynamite. There's a big muscular <laughs> manly woman and her name is Starla. So I'm, I'm very grateful for him. He's very kind. <laughs> so you're very glad you're the inspiration for this Starla and not yes. that Starla. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so very happy. <laughs> I actually really appreciated the Starla character in this book because, I mean, she she voiced what was kind of in the background going on. I mean, you, you kind of had suspicions throughout the novel up until that point that his girlfriend was being shady. I mean, it was obvious she was being shady. And so when that character's like, um, sh- uh, my house is further than yours and she's never been to my house at all, like ever. And he's like, really? Huh. And, you know, it's it's one of those points that, you know, in a normal, you know, well, in a more, I guess, loving relationship than what they would have, you know, presented and actually had, you know, that character probably would have been very devastated. And he even touches on that in the book. He's like, I should be like, you know, horribly like crying. And Curtis even mentions the fact, you know, he's like, your girlfriend just broke up with you. You didn't even shed a tear, but your chihuahua gets taken away and you're a mess. <laughs> Yeah. The healing aspects of dogs. That's yes, what yes. Put it to. I loved my dog more than I loved my girlfriend. <laughs> I but I can wish. actually understand. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just saying I can I can definitely understand. I'd love the dog more than the girlfriend too. Yes, uh, I kind of regret that uh, Adam and Greta didn't get to have that conversation about like uh, confronting exactly what she had done. I, I'm curious how that would have played out. Yeah, because the le- next two times he talks, next few times he talks to her at the end of the book after they break up, like there's, it's kind of left unsaid. Yeah, left. he never mentions like, hey, you weren't actually at Starla's house. I mean, I guess that's kind of in the character for him not to do that, to be so forward. But I'd mm-hmm. be curious to see what that conversation would be like. Yeah, and it's like in a perfect world, they would work out those issues and oh, talk gosh. about it. But I actually think it's pretty true to life. Sometimes those conversations just never happen. Like you find out about it and just kind of fizzles out into nothing. And and you use things like the dogs in your life to move on. And especially like the super sweet dogs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think animals are definitely those those really big cuddle bunnies in your life where you're just like everything in my day has been horrible. And, you know, no matter how bad your day was, you look at them and they're like, I love you. Yeah, I thought it was great that uh, Decker was his muse at the end of all this. Usually, when a character has a muse, it's a person, but Mm -hmm. in this case, it was this adorable little dog, and I really liked that. Yeah, and I really liked that um, he talked about her piling food like around the house for the lean times. Such a dog thing to do. It is, especially small dog. Yeah, I know. I don't know what it is, but they have to hide like. You know, you can give them ten rawhides, and you'll they'll they'll have one that they're actually chewing on, and the rest just like disappear in the house. And then you're doing spring cleaning. You're like, why do I have five rawhides in my couch? <laughs> it's like, why? I thought I gave these to you to eat, and then they're like, no, don't touch my rawhides. <laughs> don't touch them. I know, right? What I find interesting is that he was like making a 
living just writing stories for these two magazines that you know most people like what are you writing for but he was actually able to pay the bills from writing for barely legal and buttman magazine as as a teenage as a teenage no less I mean, how difficult is that for a man? <laughs> I mean, really think about that from like a different perspective. A grown man is writing to be, you know, a barely legal teenage girl encountering what, you know, most, well, we, we're not even going to speculate yeah. on the, the, the explicitive details that could go on there. But I mean, that has to take a little bit of a different mindset to put yourself in being like, okay, I know what I need to write for this specific audience, but how do I go about writing that from the completely opposite gender and make it seem believable? Yeah, and a life experience that we imagine he's never had. Exactly, yeah. right? Well, I, I, I admit I feel a little bit better that a grown man wrote those articles instead of there actually being teenage <laughs> yeah, girls. Yeah, I, I have to, to yeah, that, that does make me feel a little better about things. <laughs> That way, if there was anything too shady, it was just the mind of a, of a man. <laughs> it was the mind of a man who needed to buy dog food. <laughs> it was a man trying to take care of his dog, people. <laughs> well, and then he writes them so accurate that he gets fired for it. <laughs> that, well, that and then like what really threw me there is when he was he was talking about his friend earlier in the interview where he's like, yeah, my friend was like, I know exactly who it is, you know, because I go and I read the, the article. It's like, I I would appreciate my friends reading my articles, but I don't really know if I would want my friend reading those articles. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think at that point I'd be like, thank you for supporting me i think that's However, a special kind of friendship exactly, right there yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i read them for your articles <laughs> just to make sure you got published this week <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> but still i mean tons of of like awesome life experience and it it, it also comes across in the book i mean adam does not have an easy time with like i mean poor guy with anything I mean, could you imagine being in his situation? Your own father, like, lets you go from a job. You're trying to get back on your feet. And, like, no matter where you're looking at, you're a joke. Uh-huh. Like, literally, you're a joke. Like, how do you even, like, have self-confidence after that to, like, put yourself back out there and, like, continue to try and, and work in the same profession when people are, like, openly making fun of what you did? Uh-huh. Well, you know, what's funny is that this book, it's such a light read. Like, it's 20, 200 pages. Sorry, 20 hundred. 200 pages. Um, and it's a light read. It, like, the, most of it's very humorous throughout. It has a pretty steady tone throughout the book. However, it hits upon, like, emotional abuse through your significant other. Because Greta's not a kind person to Adam throughout the book. No. Um, and she kind of corners him into getting this dog. I kind of wonder why. Like, yeah, I, I wanted to ask her that, have, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I when I read that part of her just bringing the dog in without consulting him at all, I tried to get in that mindset. What would cause you to do that? Like, is that I wondered if that was her way of trying to get distance between them, like to start a fight. That's what I was wondering if maybe she was trying to get him to break up with her in that moment. Uh Like you violated the thing that you knew was super important to me. 
Right. I think maybe that or maybe she already already knew that she was going to be out of that relationship. Mm -hmm. So maybe she was trying to give him something to care about. But then at the same time, if she was trying to give him something to like take her place, she would have made sure that she made the phone call. Right. Right. She would have made sure that she told them, oh, we were wanting to adopt the dog. You know, this is what we're going on. So maybe it was just to start a fight. Maybe did like. Even in the middle of the book, like when she finally ends it, she comes in completely confrontational. I mean, it's not even lightly like, you know, I had a bad day. Maybe I don't want to do this. She's basically like, I don't care about how you feel. I don't care about any of this. I want to end it because you're not good enough for me. Mm -hmm. We're not out partying. We're not out doing this anymore. You're no longer the high flyer you were when I met you. So you're not worth my time. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even show any care for the dog in that moment. She's like, what dog? Who cares about the dog? Mm -hmm. Even when the dog runs out of the, the apartment, I mean, Adam's out there like a flash, like he's he's barely dressed, no shoes on, you know, wearing pajama bottoms and he's running after this dog. And Greta's like somewhere lagging behind. I mean, didn't she want the dog? That's why she got the dog. Yeah, I don't don't get it. She showed no want of the pet that she got. And that brings up another interesting kind of very real to life situations where people will get pets, uh, cats and and dogs and then for whatever reason like the novelty wears off within a couple yeah. of days and they're like oh don't want to i think anymore. people are yeah. more interested in the idea of pets maybe and like he touches on this with some of the other chihuahuas in the book people use them as accessories or and once they get tired of them mm-hmm. they just throw them away yeah so forgetting that they're living beings and need like love and attention and care and instead just like, oh well i have this cute little dog purse dog mm-hmm yeah an accessory is a very good way to put it you know you make a commitment no it's no different than having a kid different in the spec of the responsibility but you're still making you know a 10 plus year commitment to a living breathing animal that's going to rely on you for every aspect Mm -hmm. of its existence so that whole interaction with Greta just kind of threw me off because it's like i mean it makes you start off really not liking her character Mm -hmm. from the get-go like you just you start off the novel and you're like okay this chick is kind of here but what's her purpose like why is she here like what is she giving to Mm -hmm. adam to really like have this relationship because there's not even like an open dialogue of common interest yeah in the beginning like you don't even see like why they're even living together it's kind of like they threw two people together and they're just living with each other out of convenience or something well and i think he hits a little bit on that was that she was that pride thing where she was proud of him when he was working for entertainment weekly and then when he stopped working for entertainment weekly you know well she even says that like while she's breaking up with him she's you know he's like well you liked it when i was working here and she's like well i like getting the free cds and going to the parties Mm -hmm. and it's like really you just you showed how shallow your character is from like the start and end of it you Mm -hmm. showed i mean yeah well and so sorry gonna move on to another topic after this because we could go like such a deep dive into their relationship (laughs) on a psychological perspective but i did want to talk about there's one thing that threw me out of this book that was kind of weird for me but it didn't ruin the book for me by any means i still loved it very much but it was using real 
um, groups like boy groups and and real things in the book and it's not that people can't do that it just for some reason just threw me off with the one direction thing because he talks about how they dance a lot and I don't watch I don't I haven't paid attention to boy bands since I was like 15 so I was like do they <laughs> but when he said it was supposed to be in sync that's what clicked it for me I was like that makes sense <laughs> see and i do think that that is a very interesting choice that he made to use real band names because like i said i love that character that idea of someone who plays music and bringing in the music but you risk that if people don't know those bands that if they can't picture it do they get the full effect of the story are they missing part of the story like mm-hmm. i'll admit i dating myself here <laughs> one direction i got it but <laughs> I had to look up the songs because I was like, I want to know what's going on in this character's mind. And I love that there's a YouTube playlist because Mm -hmm. I think that probably does add a lot to the value of the book. But making sure that people do have that reference, that they're not missing that, Mm -hmm. adds so much more. Right. Yeah. um, It it definitely made more sense to me once he said the end sync. Like, I I was very familiar with the boy bands growing up. Uh, So when he said One Direction, I was like, they don't do a lot of dancing yeah i'm like they 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 were definitely pretty boy singers but i mean they were more like the cool guys that like sat there you know did like the fawn stuff in the background while wearing their nice jackets and stuff they weren't really like all dancey like backstreet boys and seeing um 98 degrees those bands did do more dancing but again, you know, I had to love the idea of doing the typical Marty McFly. I'm going to like cover you in manure in your car thing. Cause that is just, that's, that speaks to classic me as a kid. Like, I mean, I giggled so much when I, I had to reread the scene like multiple times. Cause I was just like, I want to do that so bad to NSYNC. And I was like dreaming about doing it to NSYNC while reading the book only to find out that that's who he was basing it on originally. And I was like, yeah, I could so see that. I, I can get behind that 110%. Yeah. I said, it didn't take me out too much that I couldn't enjoy the book. It was just kind of this weird moment where I was like, is that right? Huh? <laughs> I think what was a little stranger for me was uh, the interaction between Curtis and Sonia. Because, you know, you saw where it was heading. Again, you knew exactly where that train was going. But to hear Adam be like... so much. Yeah, I mean, you can't even see. He's like, well, do you want me to try and seduce the hippie lady? And they're like, what? I thought about it. But what do you even work? And in the end, it ends up happening anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I I liked it because you usually don't see relationships between older characters sometimes in Mm -hmm. books. So it was kind of refreshing to see these two older people doing their thing. Yeah, there's this um, weird mindset that some creators have where once you hit a certain age, you're just not interested in relationships anymore. And it's like, no, I I think people probably still are. I think it's more or less the door on our innocent young minds have shut because, you know, <laughs> to to think about that puts you in a different mindset. You're kind of like, no, that's like imagining my teachers and parent. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm we're going to wrap this up. Um, but thank you guys so much for coming and talking to me about this book. Um, I think it was really us. much a fun time. Uh, having a conversation with Scott as Phillips. Uh, he's going to have um, one a new book coming out in two, early 2019 for his Pete the Blood Drinker series, which I'm going to be reading and catching up on before then. But hopefully when that comes out, we can have him as a guest again because he was just so much fun and it was a blast. So 
As our final to-do, let me make a few announcements. Is um, I had the interview with Lauren C. Tafoe for her book, Implanted. She's another f- fantastic author. Uh, we'll be um, recording that podcast soon. Um, and then we'll wrap this up just by anything that you're interested in reading as a kind of send off and goodbye. So we'll start with Tara. Oh, Lord. Uh, let's see. There's tons of novels. Um, I'm reading uh, Bring Up the Bodies, which is the sequel to Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Um, I'm also currently reading, uh, I cannot remember the exact name of the book, but is a it is a three uh, book series by Ari Salvatore that is not in his Dritz du Erden series. It is actually a standalone series. Um, I'm also reading another, um, the Elbran uh, series from Ari Salvatore, which is actually uh, an adult fantasy novel series. Um, and I'm also reading a book about a investment assassin believe it or not so a ceo investment assassin who literally goes around for a company and makes sure that their stocks and trades go the way they want them to go admittedly tara i think you're the only person who juggles more books than i do on any (laughs) given day all right sandra absolutely those sound like some great recommendations uh right now i'm going to be starting implanted and i do want to check out some more of scott's work so i'm going to be looking at those and then of course anything that Chrissy ends up putting on my desk while we're at work. <laughs> All right. What about you, Star? Uh, right now I'm listening to Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files audiobooks, Ooh. which are read oh, by James books. Marsters, Spike from Buffy. That alone oh, makes yes. them yes. fantastic. I'm uh, a little I'm bit on... jealous of you right now. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And I'm on uh, book two, which is Fool's Moon. And it's about uh, a wizard in Chicago named Harry Dresden. And he works with the police, Lieutenant Karen Murphy, and uh, they solve supernatural crimes in town. So it's a like fun, very light read. So I recommend it. Very fun. Um, I actually just went to an author event today uh, with uh, Lauren C. Tafoe and um, Rebecca Roanhorse, who wrote um, Trail of Lightning. And that one looks, she read a chapter of it and me and my mom were very close to telling her, keep going. Because <laughs> it just sounded so good. So I'm going to be reading that. Um, I'm finishing up Dark Places by Gillian Flynn. She's the one who wrote uh, Gone Girl and Dark. Uh, I'm reading Dark Places. She also wrote Sharp Objects. Um, I'm finishing up that audiobook. Um, oh my gosh, goodness. The Girl on the Train. I'm not very good with audiobooks. I usually read them while I'm walking, so it's been taking me a bit. It got a lot better since last time we talked uh, on the panel. Um, I can now differentiate the character voices. Um, So it's been going really well. And anything else that's on my shelf, I'll try and pick up as well. (laughs) Don't forget to pick up a copy of Man with Chihuahua which can be found in local bookstores uh, such as page one if you're here in Albuquerque and online. I'll post links to Man with Chihuahua in the blog as well as links to some of his other works such as Guns Up and Pete Drinker of Blood. I already have one of them and I'm gonna go get the other one. I wanna thank Cherry Hills Library for allowing us to record our interview. They're very gracious. I also want to thank Scott once again for taking time out of his busy day to sit down and talk with us. All right, well, signing off, this is Chrissy once again, and hopefully you get lost in the book.